I've heard it said that uh, a good way to introduce a talk when you're public speaking is humor. Tell a joke. Michael did that very effectively a couple of weeks ago. I'm not known as a comedian, so I'm not going there. Another way, another way of doing it is to share something personal. Share something that makes you more relatable to the people that you're speaking to. And so I thought, well, I could do that. I could, you know, bear my soul before you all right now. So instead of the what you need that's in the order of worship, I said, okay, what I need. We'll start off with that. And so we'll go back to childhood, and perhaps you can relate to this. In childhood at Christmas, you have what you want, what I wanted a nice, I'm dating myself, sorry, you guys might not relate to some of this, but, you know, a Schwinn Stingray bicycle. That's what I want for Christmas. What do you need for Christmas? Anybody ever have that experience? Or I'm the only, mom's sitting back there going, really, did I do that to you? <laughs> Let's not dwell on details here. Now, you go on up, you get a little older in life, and then you want other things. Your, your wants kind of grow up. So what I want, Scott, where are you? BMW, right? 320i, 1983. Actually had one of these. That's not the actual car, Suzanne. But that is a paper. But it looked just like that. That's what I wanted. Emily came along. What I needed, not quite the same thing, is it? But I did need it because the first Christmas piling Suzanne, Emily, and a dog into a BMW 320i and going to mom and dad's here in Jeffersonville and to Suzanne's folks in Paducah, an Aerostar works a whole lot better. It came time for our first house. What I wanted, <laughs> you remember having those discussions uh, with your realtor the very first time you looked at a house? Roger Haig was our realtor. He'd been referred to us by some friends at church. Really great guy. He sits down with us and said, tell me what you're looking for. And this is probably what we described to him. And Roger, to his credit, he didn't laugh at us. He didn't say, go get lost. You know, he found us what we needed, which was, you recognize that, Suzanne? That's an actual picture of what we needed. 9680 Shelbourne Road, Carmel, Indiana. First house there. He got us something that we needed that we could actually afford, <laughs> that the whole budget for our house wouldn't even pay a month worth of servants cost at the Biltmore. That's what we needed. And we find that tension going on in all of our lives, don't we? What we want, what we need. And man, this is a battle that we're always going to fight, that always occurs. Each one of us can relate to this. And I'm reminded through this of a song that came out. Now, you're going to get a reference here in a Church of Christ this morning that I'm just virtually willing to guarantee you that no other Church of Christ is going to have this reference because this reference comes from the great philosopher Mick Jagger. You think you're getting any other Rolling Stones references in Churches of Christ this morning? But Mick Jagger, in the song You Can't Always Get What You Want, released in July of 1969, had this lyric. This is the hook of the song. You can't always get what you want, but if you try sometimes, you just might find 
you get what you need. Anybody got that tune going in your head right now, kind of relating to that? You know, that's, uh, that, that lyric, it's kind of melancholy in a way. It's kind of sad in a way. You can't get what you want. Because we all want what we want. But there's something reassuring about it, too, in that last part of that phrase, you just might find you get what you need. You just might find you get what you need. Mick Jagger wouldn't be considered by any stretch of the imagination a theologian. But the words of that song, the lyric, are actually pretty good. And they really do have a good, a good message to them. And if we break it down from a biblical rather than just a Rolling Stones perspective we can find that there's some pretty good stuff there. Because as we look at what we want, or if we break down the first part of that hook line of that song, you can't always get what you want. We see things in Scripture that address this. Go over to James chapter 1, and James talks about this. He actually hits it several places in his letter. Because he starts out talking about temptation, and in James chapter 1, you recognize that progression? What starts... What happens with temptation? It's about what we want. And James says specifically, it's your evil desires. And those evil desires take hold of you and they grab you and they progress to sin and ultimately to death. It's because what you want has triumphed over other things. If you go over to James chapter 4 then, he continues this thought and he talks about how Our wants can be destructive to others. In James chapter 4, he he actually illuminates this more, and he talks about the conflict that arises between people. In 4, he says, What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires, what you want, that battle within you? And then look at what happens with this. You desire but do not have, so you kill. You covet, but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. That's a pretty, pretty terrible thing to see. Then in Mark chapter 10, we go back to Christ, and we go back to this little situation where it indicates there's something else behind our wants, and that's our pride. In Mark chapter 10, if you recall that passage, James and John approached Jesus. You remember what that request was in there? In Mark chapter 10, uh, <clears throat> Pardon me, I've got to find the verse now. Uh, uh, James and John, son Zebedee, came to him and said, Teacher, we want you to do whatever we ask. And what do they want? They wanted that place of prestige in the kingdom. They wanted what their pride indicated that they should have. And so we see all these negative things that comes back to this. And their, their request the prideful request that they made of Jesus at that time, James is going to address again a little later in James chapter 4 when James quotes ancient scripture to say, God opposes the proud, shows favor to the humble. So we can see our wants get us in trouble so often. Personally, they can get us in over our head in situations. If, if I'd pursued the Biltmore 
instead of the house I had. That would have been in massive trouble. Not that I could have ever gotten there anyway. But our wants so often set us up in poor positions, get us in places we don't need to be. That's not to say that what we want is always bad. Certainly not. Sometimes we want very good and positive things. But, unfortunately, often what we want isn't really in our best interest. What we need, what we need is what is in our best interest. You know, Lainan just led a song there, and uh, Lainan asked me, uh, you have any songs for this morning? And, and he went ahead and uh, gone ahead and prepared the list before I was able to respond to him. And I said, that's the only one I can think of. So thank you, Lainan. Um, I'd say great minds think alike, but I don't want to degrade your mind in that way. <laughs> okay, But... Jesus knows just what I need. Look at, look at the chorus of that song, if, if you flip back to that. It says, he knows just what I need, he knows just what I need, he satisfies and every need supplies. Yes, he knows just what I need. Isaiah chapter 58, uh, verse 11, talks about how God's provision is always available to the righteous. Uh, Isaiah specifically says, he will satisfy your needs in a sun-scorched land. We probably don't have the appreciation for what Isaiah is writing to the people at that time today. We sit here sheltered from the elements in this building uh, we had an elders meeting uh, before class this morning, and we heard the thunder and the rain pounding on the building roof. Okay. We're dry. We're comfortable. It's looking far more pleasant out here now than just a couple of hours ago, but we're in here. The elements are controlled. No issues. We're not worried about if we had assembled in July on a 90-degree day, a 95-degree day, sweltering through a service because we have no other option. We're not concerned about our ability to go get a cold drink of water. We're not concerned about our food. But that sun-scorched land that Isaiah talked about had real meaning to the people at the time. If that land is sun-scorched, that could mean drought. That could mean famine. That could be starvation. The consequences of that were massive to the people that Isaiah spoke to. Deadly even to the people that Isaiah was speaking to. But he will satisfy your needs, even in those conditions. There is no need beyond what God is able to provide. In Philippians chapter 4, Paul recognizes the sacrificial gift of the Philippians that allowed Paul to continue his ministry. Without that support that Paul had, his ministry would have been that much more challenging, that much more difficult. And Paul recognizes their sacrifice, but he concludes in verse 19 by saying, My God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. There's nothing that wouldn't be met. They would be cared for. Their recognition, their faithfulness to God would make certain that their needs were met. In Romans chapter 8, it takes it to a whole different level. Uh, Romans chapter 8, one of the, in my opinion, one of the greatest chapters in all Scripture when it talks about that relationship that we have with God, that care, that, 
that intervention that he provides to us in our lives, the, the ability to be a part of him, to be reconciled to him. Paul goes so far as to say the Spirit aids us even when we don't understand what our needs are. He groans for us in words that we, that we cannot even understand. He intercedes for us. God recognizes our needs. God recognizes our needs. But getting what is needed isn't really a passive exercise. There's more to it than that. There is that phrase, if we go back to that song, remember that lyric, you can't always get what you want, but if you try sometimes, you just might find you get what you need. We've kind of hit on what you want, and we've kind of hit on what you need, but bookended by that is that phrase in the middle, if you try sometimes. Do you get what you need without considering what is there? Uh, think with me on these. You recall that Old Testament story. Remember Nahum, Naaman, the Syrian general, leprosy. Second Kings chapter 5. Leprosy was a, a, considered a horrible thing in those days. The isolation under Jewish laws that you had to experience, you know, it, it was, you'd be ostracized from society uh, from having this. And so Naaman is known as this warrior, this general, this soldier, prominent man, leprosy. What's that going to do to his life at this point in time? And the servant girl says, back, back in my home area, back in Judea, there's a prophet. Maybe you should go check things out with him. And Naaman goes back. You remember the story? To Elijah. And what does Elijah say to him? Go down there to the Jordan. Dip six, seven times. Seven times in the Jordan. Taken care of. Do you remember Naaman's reaction to what Elijah told him? The Jordan? Are you kidding me? Muddy, dirty stream. There's a whole bunch of rivers. There's a whole bunch of rivers back around Damascus. I can go in there a whole lot nicer than that. Why there? What did Naaman want? Well, you can say he wanted to be cured from his leprosy. Yeah, but that wasn't really quite enough, was it? Because if, if he simply wanted that, he would have gone down to the Jordan right away. What he wanted was some grandiose miracle cure. I'm going to this prophet. He's certainly got something big in store for me. I'm going to have a story to tell when I get home. That's what he wanted. But what did he need? He needed the healing. But he also needed a little humility, didn't he? He needed to be willing to say, hey, look, my plan, my plan may sound really great. I want to do something big and fancy and elaborate. But he had to be humble enough to accept what was presented to him. And so then you get the try, if you will. So what was the try? Actually doing it. Because when confronted with this, when confronted with this situation, say, look, you came here and said you'd do, you know, whatever the prophet said. And he had to be challenged, but he did it. He did it. He went down to the Jordan. He accepted. The try was to actually get down to the Jordan and do what Elijah told him to do. 
and the healing came as a result of that. In John chapter 4, we're familiar with the, the account of Jesus and the disciples uh, traveling back up to Galilee, and they stop at this little village called Sychar in Samaritan territory, and, and Jesus is there at the well when his disciples go into town to get some food. Jesus is left alone there at the well. A Samaritan woman comes up. We're all familiar with that account, too. And in this interchange that they have, Jesus asks for a drink from the well. Or talked about getting a drink, and, and well, okay, whatever. And Jesus says, I, I got some water for you. And the woman's like, how, how you got water? How are you drawing from this well? And he says, I've got living water. And the woman, now her interest is peaked, right? I don't have to go all the way up to this well to get water anymore. What does the woman want at this point in time? She wants what we have. She wants a little spigot at the house that she can turn on and just get water that way so she doesn't have to go do this task on her own. There's all kinds of conversation about how she was there at that time of day because she would have been kind of an outcast in the community and things like that. There may be substance to that, but the bottom line was is it's a chore, you know, Whitler shared with us with a walk for water, you know, about how you had to take up the jugs and you walk an average of, what, four miles, four, yeah, you know, several miles to go get water. That's a chore. That's a job. Why would anybody want that job if they didn't have to have it? And this woman sitting there going, this guy's telling me I don't have to have that chore anymore. That's her want. Get rid of this, this task. That's a daily task, maybe even a several times a day task. I don't have to do that anymore. I want that. But what was your need? Jesus wasn't talking about anything that was going to be in that jug that she was carrying around. This is a woman that needed to get her life turned around. What does Jesus say? Go summon your husband. I don't have one. Jesus? That's true. Had five of them. Currently shacked up with a guy that's not your husband. That changes the conversation real quick, doesn't it? And, uh, and it did change the conversation because this woman all of a sudden realized, yeah, we're, we're, we're not really talking about what's coming out of that well anymore. We're talking about something far more important. What was the try in that situation? I'm going to head back down to the village. There's this guy at the well, and he's told me everything I ever did. Maybe we should go hear what else he has to say. Because he's talking about this worship, and he's talking about how we're not going to be worshiping up here on the mountain like we've done here in this village, and we're not going to be worshiping down in Jerusalem anymore like the Jews do down there, but we're going to be worshiping in spirit and truth. We're going to have a relationship with God And she's willing to share that. That try is she's going out there telling the people of her village. It's really interesting because we don't think of this so much, but Jesus going to the Gentiles right here? That wasn't supposed to happen until Peter, was it, later on? But that message has been shared, and that need that she had was met 
because she was willing to go down to that village and say, folks, come up here. Let's listen to what this guy has to say. There's a try involved in this. In Acts chapter 3, in verse, beginning in verse 1, Peter and John go into the temple. And as they go into the temple, they confront a, a guy that's a lame beggar. A man laid there uh, in, in the courts of the temple where you can beg for money as people go by. What's his want? His want's pretty simple. Hey, a few coins. i got to make a living here. You know, this, this is kind of like my job uh, right here. What's the want? It's real simple, real physical, real narrowly focused. Do you have any money for me? But Peter and John said, you know, sorry, can't help you with that. And in verse 4, Peter looked straight at him as did John. Then Peter said, look at us. So the man gave him his attention, expecting to get something from them. He expected one thing. He got something else. He expected what he wanted. He got what he needed. Peter said, silver and gold I do not have. At this point in time, can you imagine the guy being a little disappointed? Oh, man, hit up the wrong people. But what I do have, I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. And taking him by the hand, he helped him up, and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. And what did the guy do? The try, if you will, if you try sometimes, what did the guy have to do? When Peter reached his hand down, what did he have to do? Take hold of it. When Peter started pulling him up, did he say, you can't do that, I can't walk. I haven't been able to walk forever. He didn't resist him. He allowed it to happen. He took hold of that hand, he came up, and then he jumped to his feet and began to walk. Then he went with them in the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. And when all the people saw him walking and praising God, they recognized him as the same man who used to sit begging at the temple gate called Beautiful. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. He had to respond to that hand being out there. What did he want? He just wanted some money. He just wanted some money. That was it. What did he need? He needed a miracle to open his eyes to the power of God and what Christ could do. And what, did his, what was his try in that situation? To was accept that hand that Peter extended to him, to lift him up so he could experience the power of healing, the miracle of healing, what Christ could do for him. And what did he do with it? Then he continued on to praise. Our opening scripture this morning uh, was from, from Luke chapter 10, uh, verses 38 to 42. If, if some of those you're wondering, why did you put that scripture up there if you're never going to get to it? We'll, we'll save that for the end. Because this is a really, really interesting story. Because the contrast there between what Martha and Mary present in that passage is fascinating. Now, sharing again that story... As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. 
Okay. And parts of it sometimes we don't pick up, but this, this is Martha's house that Jesus is in. Specifically says so. So here we are in Martha's house. So naturally, what's Martha doing if she has guests? Taking care of the guests. She had a sister called Mary who was there in the house too, who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work all by myself? Tell her to help me. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you are worried and upset about many things, but few are needed, or indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better and it will not be taken away from her. You had Martha's want versus Jesus, Jesus's assessment of what the need was. And set in clear contrast. And Martha consumed by many things, distracted by the preparations. Got to get the meal on the table. I got Jesus here. I got the 12 disciples, or the, the, the disciples here. We, we got to get something going here. You know, the scriptures make clear that, that this relationship between Mary and Martha and their brother Lazarus is a very intimate relationship. They're very close, uh, excellent friends. So, so Martha to be there and be concerned about making sure that they were provided for appropriately wouldn't be an inappropriate concern. But Jesus saw something deeper. It wasn't really about what was going on the table, was it? It was about her prioritization of, of things, about how, uh, how she needed to look beyond what was surrounding her in this physical life and what was going on there. There was, a, there was something more. There was something higher. And... The reality is, is the need for refocusing in her life will become even more apparent as you go through the Gospel of John. Because the story of Mary and Martha here presented in Luke gets amplified a bit as you go on. Mary and Martha's world's going to get rocked. In John chapter 11, they're going to see the death of their brother. They are completely aware of what Jesus' reputation is as a healer. So they summon him. Lazarus is ill. Come. Jesus doesn't show up. Lazarus dies. How can this happen? How can this happen? Their world gets rocked. In John chapter 11, you see the account of Lazarus being raised. And you see a response to that in John chapter 12 as Jesus is now in the last days of his ministry and he's back in their home again. And Mary anoints Jesus, that, if you will, the anointing for the funeral. That relationship was a special, special relationship. That was a relationship that was built on the joy of seeing Christ and hearing his teaching and all that and being in, in that intimate, close relationship with him. But it was also a relationship that was built around the, the sorrow and the heartbreak that they'd seen in events of, of, of Lazarus passing away, the joy of him coming back to life, the sorrow in recognizing that Jesus might be in his last days and facing his death. 
But that was a relationship that was so special and so important. And Jesus needs to kind of reconfigure that relationship and say, look, what this physical life is about is not what, you're, what you really need to focus on. That may be what you want to focus on. That's not what you need to focus on. What you want is here. It's what we deal with every day as we go about our existence on this earth. What we need is to prepare for what comes next. What we need is that relationship. The song that Landon will be leading here uh, in just a moment, the chorus is a beautiful chorus. Think about this. Just think about this as, as Martha and Mary would consider it, as they went through those elements that we, we talked about. When the wind blows, he is my shelter. When I'm lost and alone, he rescues me. When the lion comes, he is my victory. He's constantly watching over me. A beautiful sentiment to refocus what God is doing for us through his son. What do we need? What do we need? We need that shelter from the wind. What do we need when we're lost and alone to be rescued? What do we need when the lion comes? Victory over it. That's what we need. That's what it's really all about. We want a lot of things. We want all kinds of things. And those things get in our way so often. They distract us so much from what we really need. What does Jesus say to Mary? He says, few things are needed or indeed only one. And that was Christ sitting there before her Surrounding us right now. 